Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Do I Still Love It? The nostalgic podcast that asks you to be kind and please rewind. Uh, I'm your host, Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. And every week, along with a special guest, we rewatch a movie or a TV show that we remember loving when we were kids to see whether or not it holds up now that we're grown-ups. And this week's grown-up is returning guest, friend of the show, Rama Valuri. I don't know that the word grown-up is completely applicable here because for the second time, we are watching an underrated 90s animated classic. Oh, man. Of which you are wearing a shirt. For the second time. Two for two, Rama with the nostalgic throwback shirt, and this one uh, with (laughs) with Powerline on the... On your shirt. This is the Powerline standout tour from 1995 with the tour schedule on it. Oh, really? Is that on the backside? No, it's on the oh, right. It's on the, the front, right under the Powerline tour name. He played all the big cities: London, Tokyo, <laughs> Cairo. So uh, this week uh, we have Rama over for the second time to watch yet another uh, movie adaptation of one of the Disney afternoon, and this is a Goofy movie from 1995. So Rama, I feel like because you're back again for another Disney afternoon classic, like tell us a little bit about little Rama and what drew him to the Disney afternoon. Well, it was on, so (laughs) there was that. That was an advantage, but it did retread characters you already knew and already liked so the the thing with DuckTales everyone already knew Scrooge McDuck so you were going to watch things about Scrooge and his family. Chippendale Rescue Rangers was a goofy sort of Magnum P.I. mixed with Indiana Jones which already had your attention because it was Chippendale and then this was turning Goofy into his own show with his son which we never want to figure out the mechanics of how he had a son or who his mother was But my dad's favorite Disney character is Goofy, Mm -hmm. and he has a lot of Goofy t-shirts and things in the office, and most identifies with Goofy. So naturally, we would watch the show built around Goofy. So the afternoon block on, on Disney at the time was this sort of wonderland of consistently good cartoons, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if that's true now. Is your is your relationship with your dad at all like a Max and Goofy? Is your dad a Goofy person? Oh, he's the goofiest person I know. <laughs> okay. So in that way, yes. But it would be more like Max and Goofy on the TV show than in the movie. Because there's a lot of angst and teenage frustration and the like that happens in the movie that doesn't happen in the show. Mm-hmm. The show is more sitcom tropes and goofy pranks involving them and school and all which is easier to relate to than the idea of lying to your father to get him to drive you across the country to see a michael jackson prince hybrid played by tevin campbell i never actually did that i didn't try and convince my dad to drive me to see tevin campbell so yeah so i guess it should be said that so a goofy movie is is a movie that's played as a direct sequel to Goof Troop, which was a part of the Disney afternoon, lasted for two seasons. And why don't, uh, in 30 seconds or less, what do you remember a Goofy movie being about? Goofy movie was about a loner kid named Max, who was Goofy's son, who awkward, kind of goofy loser in high school, and or not even high school, it could have been middle school, and he wants to impress the girl Roxanne. In order to do so, he dresses up and lip syncs the most popular song of the day, Stand Out by Powerline, and to impress her because it's about to be summer and he wants to see her more often and all that, Mm -hmm. he tells her that he is going to see Powerline because he's missing this party that she had because Goofy is terrified that his son is going to become some sort of minor criminal because of this large prank he plays in school where he dresses up as Powerline and And all this. So the father, Goofy, wants to take him on a fishing trip and save his son from a life of prison and bad choices. And Max lies to the girl that he likes that he's going to this Powerline concert in Los Angeles. So on this road trip where the father and son are supposed to bond and they start to do so, the duplicitous son is changing the map to get him to this concert as opposed to going fishing Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Very. So it's a father-son road movie. And yeah, I mean, the interesting thing here is that like, I, I didn't I didn't remember watching much of the Goof Troop TV show. 
Um, but I do remember a Goofy movie, and I think I really do like it because for, for being a Disney movie, I remember it being pretty heavy, like having several, like, like lots of emotionally, like, fraught because like you like you described like it's this idea that goofy is afraid that you know I'm losing my son like he's becoming a man and I can't slow down his growing up you know and I think as a as a young person when I was watching a goofy movie I was like oh man this goofy's getting deep this is some heavy stuff so are you saying that a goofy movie was maybe one of the less goofy movies from what in, I rem- like like <laughs> Disney afternoon world from what I remember yeah I think of it as a lost Bruce Springsteen song about fathers and sons. That's deep. <laughs> so if you think about it in that way of it's a most goofy time. Yeah. If Bruce is singing about his son or Bruce is singing about his relationship with his father, just going Unknown across the country with my dad to see a man who had a song to sing. Yeah, yeah. It basically is that. All right. But as a road movie with anthropomorphic dogs and well fantastic yeah why don't we uh <laughs> what well we'll stop the podcast now why don't you guys join us uh and take a road trip from your very couch and join us while we watch you know it's a it's a goofy movie from walt disney pictures max is the most popular kid in school max! His girlfriend's a babe. Call you later. Okay. His best bud is cool. It's the Leaning Tower of Cheesa. There's only one problem. His dad's goofy. Morning, son. It's Goofy and Max. In the movie, Siskel and Ebert give two thumbs up. You look just like I did at your age. Please don't say that, Dad. A Goofy movie, rated G. Now playing at a theater near you. All right, and that was 1995's A Goofy Movie. And, uh... Whoa, it is it was a heavy flick. <laughs> Unexpected. Not when I walked into this uh episode what I expected to feel like after I watched a goofy movie. Right. Why is it even called that? Well, it is about Goofy and <laughs> Goofy's son who is you have also points. A goof. Yeah. But man, the goofs are not they're not very goofy in this movie. Well, certainly not Max. No, yeah. certainly not. He's really rebelling against the goof name. And I think that's where one of the biggest differences between Goof Troop and a goofy movie exists. Okay. Goof Troop was far more playful and light and very much that Saturday morning cartoon vibe. This has a lot of staying power because it's just a story about a father and a son and it gets heavier. Like, I almost wonder if this was a repurposed script that existed just for a live action film. Well, I think, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it, the thing is, it's like the the concept of like the road movie is kind of a, like almost now like a played out trope in a way, in a way, especially when it comes to like independent or like festival films, you know, where it's like some people decide to go on a road trip and learn something about themselves on that road trip, you know, uh, but and and this is certainly that in that the goofy and max and then kind of like unintentionally Pete and PJ are on the same road trip don't forget the nuns there are the that yep. car full of nuns who are almost on the exact same road trip and i'm yep. still they, they unsure went why all the way to, to the, the show yeah. yeah which as as rama pointed out is most certainly happening at the forum in Inglewood. Oh, you can tell. You can tell by that parking lot structure. Plus, it's 1995. Where else is someone going to play in L.A.? So basically, uh, so the Goofy movie, as as um, Rama remind, remembered in the beginning, we got Max, who is trying to impress Roxanne. One, when this movie came out, I was uh, 12 years old. And that's just the right age for me to have really uncomfortable feelings about Roxanne. Oh, oh I get it. Like, Yeah, no, she's... She's drawn she's to be very worth cute. It. Yeah. yeah, she's cute. Yeah, and I remember thinking, oh man, one of these. And like I, spoiler alert, was like a bit of a goofy kid. I know, right? <laughs> uh, and so I was always like, oh man, maybe I can, you know, charm myself a Roxanne <laughs> with my own like goofiness. Did you ever take over an entire school assembly in the same way that Max did? 
Uh, no. Although I did, I did have like a moment in eighth grade where I became somewhat eighth grade famous for a uh, limerick that I wrote, and then would pres- would perform and do like a little dance when I did it. Wait, a little bit more about this. How <laughs> how does young Marshall James become famous for a limerick? So, like in our in our eighth grade English, we were studying limericks, and we had to write one, and I. I wrote one that was that we had to get up and perform. You must know it still. Oh, I I do know it. Goes a little bit like this: Elvis was an ace man. He used to live in Graceland, but then aliens came by, took him up in the sky, and now he's living in space, man. (laughs) Wow! It had a dance, and I would do like an Elvis, like you know. Now, did you did you get a girl from this? You know, there was a girl in our English class who her and I started like flirting hardcore, but then like, but I mean, I had no game when I was in eighth grade. So it, it pretty much stood at like, Marsha, that was cool. Thanks. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it was, it was nice. Now, what kind okay, of cool, what kind of so cool a, yeah. was this where in eighth grade you had to write and perform limericks and that got you some kind of minor fame. Was it a school for trolls? Were you coming up with riddles and uh, it was a, over bridges? Well, no, I think what it was is because it was like a magnet school. So there, like, writing poetry that was, like, clever, I guess, for by eighth grade standards was, like, enough to make people be like, Marshall, Marshall, do the poem. And, I mean, I admit that there was a bit of a, like, dance, jester, dance, you know, to it. But, oh, like, so I, you're telling I that me up. that you enjoyed this and you might have, Maybe sought the people out with asking you do this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I've always been a bit of a, like, uh, pay attention to me, please. Pay attention to me, please. A little bit of a ham. Yes. Well, then I would say that you you seem to be, like, a lot like Max. Oh, yeah. No, so watching this movie, uh, I felt immediately about how much kinship I felt with Max. Like, watching watching it. Like, when I watched this movie at the time, I was like, yes. It's exactly like this. I'm a little bit goofy, and nobody understands me, and my dad is trying to live vicariously through me, and, like, everything sucks. When watching this, this time, this is the first time watching it where I've ever felt more, like, goofy than I did like Max. Ooh, now you're And maybe up. it's, yeah, I've gotten to a different point in my life where I'm looking at everything that he's doing, and I understand Goofy's intentions and how easy it is to make these mistakes and the idea of losing people in your life so quickly. I was able to sympathize with him so much more. Not that I didn't before, but I always, with the age difference, would look at, well, I feel more like Max. I feel like that outcast sort of kid, very awkward, and trying to find your place in the world. I just never had the angst that he had. (laughs) But at the same time, while watching it, you see max turn more into goofy which at the beginning he resents and by the end he celebrates and i recently especially recently have been noticing that i've been turning more and more into my parents Uh but i'm actually thrilled about it i've been very excited about every every time i've discovered a new thing it's been kind of great whereas (laughs) i don't know if when i was 12 that idea was exactly the same because you're trying so hard to build your own identity and figure out who it is you are and what it is that you actually do right but now every time i notice something else i feel very very excited (laughs) i love that i love the fact that you feel like it almost sounds like connected to your parents in the ways in which you see similarities now unlike i feel like most people be like oh no i'm turning into my mom or something like that right i like the way you look at it way better oh no i should be so lucky if i keep going down this road i'll be pretty pretty damn happy Uh but if I try and rebel against it, man. Oh, man. I feel like God. Rama's uh, parents need to hear this little segment. <laughs> right. Oh, they know. A they know. It's uh, on the back. It's been very, very entertaining. When I There was one day that I noticed out of the blue, I just decided I wanted to start gardening again, <laughs> which when I was a kid, we would garden all of the time. Every summer, we were just out in the yard planting mm-hmm. all these flowers, vegetables, weeding, all this. And for a time, I got... I would get annoyed with it because it was hot out there and I didn't want to be stuck in the mud all the time. And then I just started planting things here and realizing, wait, I'm actually still good at this. And then thought about it and went, 
Oh wait, this <laughs> perfectly makes sense. My parents garden all of the time, mm-hmm. right? And I started realizing the just relaxing <laughs> elements of this. So we have playing opposite of Goofy, who's like a well-meaning, but as his name implies, Goofy dad, is counterposed with Pete, uh, who is kind of a maniacal narcissist, very reminiscent of our president, and insists <laughs> that a strong hand... Uh, Keep them under your thumb, goof. Right. There's actually a very telling exchange that I think is is really well written for for this is uh when when pete and goofy uh towards the end of the second act when uh pete reveals to goofy that hey your son is has lied to you and is trying to steer the uh road trip towards this concert instead of towards the fishing trip uh he uh, goofy tries to defend like well i i don't believe you i trust my son my son loves me and pete counters my son respects me and i remember thinking yeah, that like that really is on display. Like two different parenting styles, and like, and neither of them are necessarily presented as like wholly correct. And so instead, it's like this interesting. It's it's interesting. Like that whole hot tub scene is like the best scene. The conversation, in my humble opinion, the conversation between Pete and Goofy about their parenting styles and about this whole idea about like maintaining control versus trying to earn affection. It struck me as, like, a really interesting and sort of, like, uh, meaty scene about, like, fathers and sons that you don't normally get in a, uh animated film. Oh, definitely not. And the fascinating thing is the truth of it or the best way to raise a child is somewhere in between, which is what they show in the movie of, well, when he becomes more lax, Max is more willing to talk to him, but he wouldn't have been willing to talk to him if he hadn't been a little tough on him before. Because if you look at the way the world was established, if Goofy was as goofy and laid back as he was, walking around in a bathrobe and his ears wrapped up like long hair, he was just completely, my son is my son, I am I am his father and everything is great. He's operating in this delusion that everything is wonderful. Yeah, And it wasn't until Principal Mazer... Mm-hmm. Which is Wallace Shawn calls him and says, "Your son's gonna end up in the electric chair." Which that's that that's a little. It's uh, a little heavy. What a yeah, a little principle. alarmist. Mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, I love Wallace Shawn. Uh, like, uh, Wallace Shawn is uh, he can do no wrong in my mind. Like every care, every time he's in a movie, he's one of the highlights of the movie. Uh, Wallace Shawn for listeners may not know who we're talking about. Like if you remember the Princess Bride, he plays Vizzini. And uh, he's also, he's just a character actor who's been in a, a ton of things. But I think most classically, I remember him as Vizzini from... Uh, and those who don't remember Vizzini by name, he's the one who goes, inconceivable! Right, yes. The mastermind behind the kidnapping. So one thing I, I wanted to get to was to Laura. So Laura, given that this is a film about fathers and sons, as someone who has not been anyone's son before, but what what as a as a viewer who was a daughter and uh, you know is a daughter, like what do you, what is the general themes about like fathers and sons? Like how does that resonate to you? I can't, I don't even have necessarily a word for it because it's not necessarily in my lexicon, but the um the friction between the two of them when they they cannot get anywhere near the ability to say that they love each other. Um, the concept of emotion in any capacity is just not allowed. Mm-hmm. And, and, not, and, and not even a, not allowed by either of them, just not allowed by construct, by the understanding of what this is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, this movie was interesting because I didn't really connect to it at all. Um, and so I kind of watched it as the episodic that it was uh, that it was portrayed as from a plot standpoint. Um, but yeah, I didn't really feel too much of what was happening. It it did in a way kind of kind of leave out. It, it was definitely like a, a father son uh, story that would speak to people who have experienced that. And it's interesting. So you you mentioned that it's episodic, and really is like uh, like. The plot we've pretty much gone over. Like they go on a road trip, lots of mayhem ensues, but they manage to make it to the Prince concert, uh, uh, Powerline, Powerline, <laughs> the Powerline concert in time, and then the movie's just in time for the movie to be done. Um, 
but one thing I thought that was interesting is like I'm a big fan of Goofy as a as a character when he was doing like his solo cartoon. Like in fact, Goofy cartoons. <laughs> I'm a really big fan of Goofy's solo career. <laughs> Goofy's solo work is real nice, but like uh, I wasn't always I wasn't a very big Disney like classic Disney fan when I was a kid because we didn't have the Disney Channel. But anytime Goofy cartoons when I could find them were always more because Goofy cartoons were always a lot more slapsticky. They were a lot more. Uh, like physical comedy and I found Goofy really funny uh, and I realized while watching this movie is this movie is filled with lots of like physical humor that I think isn't doesn't quite land as funny because yeah. there are two people at risk if it was just Goofy flying around and driving this car off a cliff and stuff maybe it's because Max is a lot more human than Goofy is but there's something about both of them, like, going towards a waterfall. There's a there's a moment where they go over a waterfall, and Goofy plummets to his presumable death. And Laura, like, w- like without uh, meaning to, just goes, oh, God. Like, she's, like she thinks well, she's Well, about- yeah, I mean, that happened a lot in this movie. The body like, count in this movie is at least five people die. Yeah. Well, we don't know for sure that they die. And I think we said it was four and a half four because and a half. the roadie... At the Powerline concert, who gets electrocuted by the giant video board, we actually never see him fall. Right, so he could. (laughs) So he might be okay. There is, there's certainly at least five incapacitations. Yeah, which uh, you know, four and a half maybe on body count. That is pretty uh, reckless and unaware, Goofy. Like, put on some glasses. Yeah. Um, But no, I, I never expected this movie to seem so real and the stakes to be so high mm-hmm. um, because it's named a goofy movie. It's not a very goofy movie. It's not goofy at all. It, with the exception of Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. So the, one of the episodes they when they first Which attempt to camping... Uh, it was the best. Go- goofy goes fishing and accidentally catches Bigfoot. And what proceeds is a like a five minute sequence where Bigfoot has essentially imprisoned Goofy and Max in their car and they can't escape. He and... is equally smart as a human mm-hmm. and then trolls the hell out of them. Puts like, on a puppet show. Yeah. He's dancing to the Bee Gees. He uh-huh. throws their keys into the woods. And he knows he's doing it and he's laughing. And anytime that they try to get out of the car or get, there's one point where they rolled on the window to try to grab a can of food that had rolled near them. He is truly imprisoning them. Yeah. As in a, very creepy way which is i thought was hilarious because it was like where did this come from Uh and then the next scene they're just in a diner yeah it was just done there's lots of writing them into a corner that then transition oh they're out of that thing yeah Yeah, it's it's more interesting i suppose in this case to just move on than have them deal with bigfoot i mean i I feel like it's kind of i feel like it's kind of the one thing that they can really rely on from the name A Goofy Movie mm-hmm. is they're like, oh, well, no one's actually going to expect anything bad's going to happen, so we'll just eh, get them out of it. The funny stuff's done. Yeah. But that wasn't the consistent style of the film, so it felt kind of like, what's going on? What am I... Where does my energy go here? Am I supposed to be emotional? Am I supposed to be laughing? Is this slapstick? Is this a ro- a romance? I don't know. And it's a really fast-paced movie. I don't movie. think it necessarily knew. Yeah, and it's a really fast-paced movie that, like, you'll go from a moment where Goofy's, like, overwhelmed with sadness at the thought that he's losing his son, and, and then a joke is supposed to happen. Sad. Those moments when he was sad, they really got to me. Like, good animation. And each one of them was bathed in blue light. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because at the beginning when he finds out from the principal that Max is in trouble, however the principal says it, he's going to end up in the electric chair because he's dressed like a thug and causing a riot in an assembly. Mm-hmm. The blue light special comes on and it's a little goof type dog fishing. Then when Bobblehead. Pete gives him the bad news, mm-hmm. it's blue light from the hot tub and from the TV mm-hmm. in the motel that they're in. And when they're reconnecting on the in the Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. there's like blue reflecting up into their faces during the musical number. Yep. Which uh, so this movie's a musical, <laughs> or, or at least it has several musical numbers that, in my humble opinion, are completely forgettable. 
<laughs> like, oh, I, I mean, yeah. the Prince and the the Prince uh, knockoff Powerline, like his his songs are pretty catchy, and I I was digging them. But all the all the non Powerline songs are very like, eh. You well, didn't feel felt- connected to Lester's Possum Park. Oh man, Lester's Possum Park. Okay, that was just terrifying. So there's a. One I the, agree with Max. Yeah, one of the episodes is uh, Goofy brings Max to this decrepit. Uh, like roadside carnival meets Chuck E. Cheese called Lester's Possum Park. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's actually modeled off of a real place. Oh, like it would not surprise me. And it's definitely like super dark. Like the whole time, like stuff is happening that I think could be funny at the Lester's Possum Park, but because it's so dark and so like overwhelming, like it's arguably the saddest moment of the whole movie. It's when they've like sort of both given up on each other that like, uh, that I'm just like, ugh. I, I feel like in in over overall, like this movie was like so, like, like sa- like sad and kind of overwhelmingly like, uh. yeah. There was a lot of uh, longing, yeah, in this movie, and I don't feel like any of the characters had the emotional intelligence to even know exactly what they were longing for, and so it was just this kind of empty sensation a lot of the time um but in the specifically in the possum section i don't know there was something about the possum section that i didn't find nearly as depressing because i think i saw the whole thing specifically through max's eyes and i kind of took it as angsty teenager hates everything Uh uh-huh so if this were to be seen through goofy's eyes it wouldn't be painted in this like morose gray and blue thing and it might not necessarily be as run down and i don't know whether or not that's the case but i took it i took it as this is the last place in the world a 17 year old or that's just what the age i've decided he is (laughs) a 17 year old wants to be when he wants to be back with the new girl that just kissed him on the cheek right like the literal last place in the world is a place where a possum hits you in the face yeah well, and it's also like a little kid park. It yeah. kind of it kind of like darkly emphasizes like God, my dad won't understand. I am not a child. And I will also say that that place also really played up the backwoods. Uh, I think I think when you see it on the map, it's in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and uh, makes sense. They really owned the Kentucky stereotype on that. How does that make you feel, Marshall? All the missing teeth. Oh well, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't paint my entire home state in a broad brush, but like, there are definitely parts of Kentucky that would feel like Lester's Possum Park. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a lot of like desolation, uh, and lots of like, you know, this sort of feeling of everything being a little bit too run down, and why is anyone taking care of this and. That sort of thing. I, I think I've definitely driven through parts of town that could have had a Lester's Possum Park. Right, right. I've seen things like it because I've driven around the country a lot, especially I've on been old. around. Well, I've done a lot of road trips from yeah, across yeah, yeah. like old Route 66. I've driven across the country a few times. So I've seen things like this, which I'm amazed are allowed to stay open. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they don't take care of it in any real way. Like one of the biggest things is there's a... There's some place near the Grand Canyon, which is a bedrock USA, which is just randomly built in the middle of the desert, just a version of the Flintstones bedrock. And you can How go have into I Oh my gosh. Yeah. You can go into Fred's house, you can go into Barney's house, <gasps> you can ride around in Fred's car. And it's like completely decrepit. It's completely run down. And I don't and it's open all year. But I don't know how they keep it open all year, because I don't know that many people have actually been there. And the people who are there don't want to be there. Right, the people right. stopping there stop out of curiosity in the same way that it's a when I was in tourist trap. When I was in Iowa, I sound, saw a sign for Trainland USA, the oh. world's largest train museum. Oh no! And I had to go. Laura, oh, no. as our resident oh, Iowa, no. yes, you went to my hometown. I went. You you went to Boone, Iowa. I went to Boone, Iowa. So That's what's where the I grew you- up. We have a festival called Puffer Billy Days. Whoa. That is the whole um that's the whole train heritage of the town. That's oh, where my Puffer parents Billy? live. Who's it was Puffer Billy. A Puffer Billy. Like 
That's like an old timey thing for a steam engine, like the puffing of the. Oh, of the I thought it was the name of. Some I thought it was guy. a name. Of, like I, I thought you were about to tell me that Puffer Billy was a lesser known American <laughs> legend, like Paul Bunyan or Johnny Appleseed. But it's like Puffer Billy, the guy who created the railroads. Oh man, I wish, but no, <laughs> a pu- like a Puffer. I, you know, now I'm starting to wonder if I ever actually knew what Puffer Billy means. But I thought Puffer Billy was like a chicka 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 choo choo. And like the smoke comes just, out. Just the engine stuff. of a train. Uh-huh. I don't know. But um, yeah, that's where I'm from. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible because we had a rule, my buddy Nick and I, when we were driving out to LA, that we would stop at anything that said America's largest or the world's greatest. And we saw the thing for Trainland USA. We're like, well, now we have to go. So we go 20 miles off the route to go to this <laughs> alleged museum. Yeah. yeah. It is in the basement of a man's house and it was a prefab house and when you walk in <laughs> you don't see anybody at the front asking for money so you start walking through and it's just all these different setups where model trains are running through and then this lady just popped out of nowhere and started telling us the history of the train museum and he had all of these and wow. he put all this I'm collection. I'm starting to think this is a different town which mm. is not the largest train museum. They, these people are I don't know. lying. Maybe this we just got there at the wrong time. This attraction is but lying. she did bilk us out at $10 by the end because oh, she did give us the tour oh, that no. we didn't know we were on. And then it's like, the tour was $10. Yes, exactly. Oh my god, That was exactly what happened. So- that is, that's fantastic. Okay, so uh, one thing I wanted to get into in this movie is almost every character in this movie is a dog, or, or at least an anthropomorphized dog like Goofy and Max. I would say that these are anthropomorphized dog-like creatures. I've never really felt the true dog sense to them. I don't know. Well, that, that comes like... down to that age-old question of, is Goofy a dog if Pluto is a dog? Right. And what differentiates Pluto from oh, Goofy? I can't I can't wait till we do Stand By Me. Because that's like that Ooh. question they ask around the campfires. Like, is Goofy a dog? If he is, then what is Pluto? <laughs> right. No, uh, and I... Like, even now, when every every single, or at least 90% of the... Um, the characters that you see, the extras in this in this film, uh, I still am not completely certain that they're dogs. Well, they're definitely dog. They all have like the the nose. They all they have, have like, the same snout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like we can, Except we, can for assume, her. we can assume that she's Rox- got a little brown nose. That's true. The other ones. <laughs> but we can assume Roxanne is a dog since her dad is certainly a dog. Oh, he's. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. That's true. But that's there, true. There are notably there are notably like four characters in this who are not dogs, and that is Pete and PJ, who are both cats. Which is interesting that they're like cats living in a dog city. Spoonerville is all dogs. And then we see briefly Mickey and Donald Duck uh, hitchhiking, which, okay, so there's some weird meta stuff going on. How do you guys <laughs> rationalize the fact that Max has a Mickey Mouse phone? Is Mickey Mouse famous in this world, too, famous enough to have his own phone? I think so, but it in that same accidental adventure caper sort of way, because there are a lot of things about this movie and its style that harken back to a much older era of, of Hollywood. In a lot of ways, the relationship, or just even the kind of tone this movie takes is very Chaplin-esque yeah. in the sort of the kid. There's these goofy moments, but instead of Charlie Chaplin getting chased by a tiger and it being really funny, now there's that kid involved and now you're terrified for both of them. So that's the kind of thing they have going on. But I think the most heartbreaking thing about Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse being there was when Max is talking to Goofy when he comes back from school and he says, we're going on a trip. And he says, with well, who? right, drop me a line. He's like, oh, with who? He's like, with my best friend. Oh, he's like, Donald Duck? Oh, Donald Duck. And he says, no, it's you. And then later, Donald is with Mickey hitchhiking. So is Donald oh. Mickey's best friend? I, I was Does Goofy about not know? I was thinking about that. Are Mickey and Donald Duck best friends and Goofy's one of those guys who thinks somebody is their best, like, Donald Duck is Goofy's best friend, but Goofy is not Donald Duck's best friend. It's in that Seinfeld way, you know that George and Jerry are best friends and Kramer's there, but to Kramer, they're probably his best friends, even with Newman being around, and Pete is Newman. Right, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the other thing is, if Mickey Mouse is this famous, why is he having a hitchhike? 
Well, that's an entirely different movie there. Okay, so then there's something else going on that I have to talk about. Pete and Goofy and Max and PJ all wear Mickey Mouse white gloves. They're the only people who are wearing the gloves, and the gloves never come off, not even when they're swimming. Like, they take their shoes off, and I think it's the first time we ever see, we've ever seen Goofy with his shoes off, and it was so strange. I don't know what I was expecting his feet to look like, but he has these just solid black feet. Like they've, the, they've popped up in older cartoons before, but it's a very infrequent thing. I think with Goofy, he's already established wearing those white gloves from a long time ago, so he has to wear those gloves. So then his son has to wear those gloves. And Pete is one of the oldest villains in Disney. He was on first... Steamboat Willie. Yeah, yeah. He was the one battling Mickey, so he's got the gloves. Which is the reason why he's a cat, because he's right. supposed to be an antagonist of the mouse. Ah, Pete's a cat. Pete's a cat. Pete's a cat. Um, so yeah, they're wearing these, they're, they're wearing gloves. The gloves never come off and I'm just, but it's interesting that like, I, it's weird that like not every other character and that like if every character in the movie were all wearing gloves and that's just like, eh, you're in a Disney film where everybody wears gloves. Do you think this is another one of those cases like with DuckTales, the movie Treasure of the Lost Lamp, when we realized that everybody outside of the McDuck family wears pants? Yes. But nobody in the McDuck family wears pants. <laughs> that they're just a pantsless family? Like, Is there a thing in every one of these Saturday Disney movie adaptations that there's something with the main characters that completely separates them? In this case, it's gloves. In that case, it's pants. I think you're, I think you're onto something. But it's one of these things where I actually don't know if it was a choice or if it's just you're creating a new modern world for a character that's been around for what 60 years at that point mm-hmm. um and so it's like well everyone will just th- this is what the world looks like so we want to make it we want to make it look like what it is but these characters we we can't change this you know well the thing is i re- i do remember i remember reading why mickey mouse wears gloves and it's because when he was originally drawn in Steamboat Willie and those sorts of things, they were all in black and white. And since Mickey Mouse had a black body, if he was ever manipulating anything in front of his chest uh, or in front it. of a black background, they didn't know, like, how, how am I going to draw? How are people going to know what he's doing? So they're like, oh, we'll put white gloves on him so that we can then draw outlines around what the hands are doing. Whoa. So the whole purpose is for black and white television so you to be able to tell what Mickey Mouse is doing with his hands. And then it's funny that they're just like, yeah, we'll draw him on Goofy, too, because Goofy also has a black body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, look at the hands. It's almost like vaudeville, where they'd wear big gloves so you can, like, pay attention to what their hands are doing. They're just that vaudeville makes, characters. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But then I guess back to the question about, is Mickey famous in this world? Because there is Mickey Mouse merchandise, and Goofy has a... Walt Disney keychain with Disney's and D they play on it. the they play game of twenty one questions and the answer yeah. is Walt Disney. Walt Disney. Which if, since Walt Disney created them, was Max thinking of God? <laughs> That's a very good question. Well, I'm well, gonna say yes. Well, son, I'm thinking of somebody. Who is it? Um, is it a man? Yeah. Is it God? Oh man, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense. I love that idea. What if he's like an evangelist that like he's even, like Jerry he's Falwell a or Goofy is a D, is a Disney. So oh, would that don't ruin make for Mickey me. Jesus or the Pope? Ooh. The Pope. I like. Well, that he's even as rich better. as the Pope. Yes. Yeah, that's except true. he's hitchhiking, and I'm sure you can get a Pope phone. He's just probably. hitchhiking because he, you know, he just like wants to try something new. Be amongst the people. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he sold the Pope mobile. Yeah, and now yeah. Yeah. So Donald Guys, is some I sort think of we really figured this out. Yeah. So okay. All right. So in the <laughs> so in the world of Disney, where Disney is God, and uh, and you know Goofy's just a well-meaning, devout Disneyan. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So I guess this brings us around to our title question, uh, Rama Valuri. Do you still love it? I don't even know why you're asking me this question. <laughs> yes. I, sw- I, I still love it, but now there's a different layer of love on it, where before, being able to relate to Max more than Goofy, now I feel like I'm on equal footing. 
Oh, so it's sort of like uh, Catcher in the Rye, where if you read it when you're a teenager, you're like, oh, man, I totally get it. And if you read it as an adult, you're like, what's wrong with this kid? Yeah, that's uh, in in a lot of ways. I look at it as I love a good story. Mm-hmm. And the story that these two, that relationship between the father and son, where neither is able to actually speak to the other. They do love each other, but they have an impossible time saying it. Mm-hmm masked over ridiculous capers and physical comedy with Bigfoot and Tevin Campbell singing some very catchy songs. I still love all of that. I think it's I think it's a forgotten classic of uh of the nineties. But I but the people who do know it and still do remember it remember it extremely fondly. Hence the Powerline t-shirts, which are available online. <laughs> yeah. Friends of mine who still swear by this. And an article that I, I think I told you about where this writer online said this may be the blackest Disney movie that had come out before. <laughs> because a lot of the themes in it and musically and the way it approaches it appeals more to a minority audience than maybe it did the broader white audience. Right. There are things about it that you can really latch onto and go okay i can relate to that so much more than i could i don't know pick, pick any one of the disney movies do you think do you think the implication is that goofy and max i mean granted they're anthropomorphized animals but like do you think the implication is that they are to be like black characters or or not necessarily i just think that characters? they even the way that they're portrayed they're so far out of what's normal for that town like they are so unusual to everybody else. They're mm-hmm. the goofy ones, the weird ones, the people that nobody understands, the freaks, the weirdos, and everybody else is completely normal. Who was the Who was the guy who was who popped up? There was that '90s heartthrob who had a cameo. Oh it. yeah, it was Joey Lawrence. Joey Lawrence has yeah. like two lines in this if, movie. If Joey Lawrence is the norm for that town, uh huh, then Max definitely is no Joey Lawrence. Right. So you look at it as that complete opposite point of view where he's misunderstood nobody gets their family they're the weird family in the area and he's got one maybe two really good friends sure like there's just a lot of social outcast nature to that which is very familiar to people who are of minority groups whether it's based on skin color orientation or whatever Mm -hmm. you can relate to that a lot more than you can necessarily relate to some of the other stories that come up Sure. Uh, so, Laura Weiss, do you still love it? This movie, I I had a hard time sticking with it because I feel like it had a very worthy storyline. It had a very worthy plot, um, but it would it would slapstick at moments when I was expect like it would zig when I was expecting it to zag, and I. I kind of lost interest because of it, so I'm actually gonna go, while I think it is a valid film, I do not say it's bad in any way, I don't think I love it. I, so the thing is with this movie is the the parts that I remembered and remembered fondly, I do still love. I think the movie is really intelligent for a, for, you know, for a kid's film. It has like a lot of really intelligent themes about father and sons and this misunderstandings and and also the writing of like max as a character and his relationships with his peers feels very genuine very relatable and even now distanted from high school like i feel i feel a resonance for all of the struggles and strife he was going through but like the musical numbers felt really flat to me and i couldn't really enjoy what would have been goofy style comedy because like the stakes were so high and the emotional levels were so high that I was actually fearing for people getting hurt instead of just like laughing at the, like it, it didn't lean hard enough into being a cartoon for me to enjoy the cartoony bits. So instead I wish it had leaned, you know, even more so on being like, Oh, we're going to do a real serious movie. And this kind of trying to split hairs didn't really work for me. But the scenes that really do work, like especially the scenes between Pete and Goofy, uh, I like I love them. So it's like a mixed bag. So I'd say I dig it. I think I I think I dig it. But I <laughs> uh 
But right after we finished watching it, we watched the uh, fan trailer for David Lynch's A Goofy Movie, which if you haven't seen it, I'll put a link to it on the website. Some guy recut this movie into a trailer as if David Lynch had directed it. And to this day, it is still amazing. <laughs> it, he did it in, what, 2007? It's one of the original, like, like, like when YouTube first launched, somebody put this up. And I feel like I feel like it's kind of on point, like what you just said about leaning into one direction or another. Like I kind of wish it made a bit of a choice, and so that's why I really liked the David Lynch one because I was like, now that is a specific choice. <laughs> yes, yes. Do you think your your view of it now mm-hmm. is colored by that expectation of Goofy as the slapstick idol, where you were hoping? for that kind of humor and then were surprised by that emotional narrative on it where it went more Pixar than it did slapstick Disney. Yes, I wouldn't say I was hoping, I say I was expecting. Just, I hear the name Goofy, I think the what the word means. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was constantly fed just enough quote unquote goofiness to constantly think that this was gonna be a goofy film, that I don't think I was necessarily prepared for the true stuff that this movie was tackling. And so I I think that, uh, Marshall, you, you said it better than I could have, which was, I wish that this movie had leaned more and, and actually dug its heels into the serious nature of what it was trying to do. Well, I think the one thing going on that is like, Goofy is still being Goofy in this movie, but unfortunately, like, Goofy is such a lovable character. He's just, you know, he's he's the gonzo uh, of, you know, of the Disney characters, you know. Like, it's hard not to like Goofy because he's so well-meaning that seeing Goofy sad... Oh, it's heartbreaking. Which is... Which is happens so often in this movie it really tears you up because he's trying so hard and it's not that he's a bad dad and and max doesn't hate him and so like their strife like they're they're written very well where i don't dislike max or goofy usually in this sort of like father versus son thing you you end up taking one of their sides of the other and the whole time they manage to make it to where i'm like oh they just don't yeah, that they makes don't sense. get That's each really other. Good they don't understand each other. And so from that sense, this is a very well-written uh, interactions between the two of them. It was just hard to really enjoy it with how much I have to see sad Goofy. I don't like seeing Goofy sad. Do you want to hit one heavier question? Hit it. Now, if we establish in this universe that Walt Disney is some sort of god, Mickey sure. is still this cause celebra, whether as a pope of Disney or still big movie star, cartoon star, however you want to play it, and Donald is still with him. What happened in Goofy's life that he was no longer part of the team, moves to Spoonerville, becomes a photographer for children, and is a single father now? I'm what actually, brought him to that point? I'm going to jump on this one. Yep. The same thing that happened to Rick Moranis. Oh, Rick no. Moranis oh. disappeared because his wife died. To raise his children. And so he completely left the film world to raise his kids. He says he never regretted it. He says it was the best decision he could have possibly made in those circumstances. And the reason why we haven't seen him come back is because he had enough money to support himself and his children from, you know, a pretty great uh, career prior to that. And so he's basically said, I will only come back for really awesome work. And any of the jobs that have been offered to me haven't really lived up to my standards. And so I would say that Goofy is such a loving, um, just honest, kind of clear, pure character that, you know, he made the best of a bad situation Mm -hmm. and found joy in making kids happy in a different way. Right. I do like that idea that he was like a clown, like Buster Keaton style movie star who then decided to walk away from it to raise his kid. But for fun, still like entertains taking pictures and is a photographer for kids. You know, and maybe maybe he's from Spoonerville and they like just went back, back home. you know, back home. And then, you know, his his father died. And so now he's trying to really relive like, you know, going on this massive road trip with his dad when he was young. He wants to take his son on the same one. You know, so 
There's well, a lot makes of... sense because the map does yeah. have the exact same route. Mm-hmm. So he moved back home for all these reasons. So Di- so Disney has established, or really you, Laura, have established <laughs> that Goofy is Rick Moranis. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could see it. I, uh, so, and I, I kind of wonder then, in this world where Spoonerville is, is Duckburg also here? And was was Donald Duck a movie star also and has gone on to now, like, is he off, be- like, <laughs> during DuckTales, is, is Donald Duck off being a movie star while he leaves his kids with Uncle Scrooge? Well, we, we established that he's not their father. He's their uncle, and there's a missing... There's a missing duck brother. Oh, right. Well, I'm actually going to take that a step further because you bring up Duckburg. And I'm starting to think, in like this Disneylandia, how segregated are these towns? Right. (laughs) A very good point. At least in Duckburg, there are some dogs and some ducks. I didn't see a single duck other than Donald in this movie. That's the question I was having is, where are the other animal types? Like, we we have... Two cats, a mouse, and a duck, and everybody else from coast to coast are dog people. Was that road trip, like, specifically figured out by his grandfather to be like, I'm going to avoid all the duck towns? (laughs) All the duck and all the mice towns? Yeah. Oh, man. We're not going to go through Kansas. There's nothing but ducks there. (laughs) There are a lot of heavy questions that come from this movie. No. In that same way, when we talked about ducktails, and that got on heavy political themes... Mm-hmm. This one got on a lot of heavy emotional themes, and now there are some political elements to it too, but these larger questions of what is this world, where is this world, how does this world actually function, because if they're aware of Walt Disney, and Mickey is still a celebrity, and Goofy is Rick Moranis, where is Duckburg? Yeah. Why is Donald hitchhiking, and when he's got a billionaire relative, tri- well, a quadzillionaire relative, right? who has a money pit. Guys, I think these are really important questions and I'm really glad that we've tackled them today. Yeah. Well, if you're a <laughs> if you're a listener who knows more about the Disney established canon than we do, please get at us at do I still love it at gmail.com or on Twitter at do I still love it. Rama Valuri, thank you so much for being our guest. Where can people find you on the internet if they wish to find you? Most places. Uh the best answer we like to give is to find any information about me or about my comedy duo partner sean george who is also a favorite of do i still love it mm-hmm. go to our website that's www.google.com and search george and valuri <laughs> you'll find the george and valuri website which is george and there's the twitter account which is gnv comedy there's also one on my name but at pouch juice and i'm on instagram drawing a bunch of cartoons oh okay including there's one of marshall oh James yeah there's uh, there there's is, a there. yeah. portrait of me and it oh, man it's the spitting image of me so <laughs> uh that's easier to find because that's just my name and it's pretty much only cartoons and drawings on there i don't don't know why for being a performing comedian i only use an instagram account to draw cartoons you should you you should use your art skills to draw the three of us as dog people i absolutely can do that and i will do that and when i do that put a link to it on your site we'll do it all right well make sure to check out do i still love it.com where we will have uh the link to the david lynch trailer as well as drawings of me laura and rama as dog people from spoonerville (laughs) and always remember to find us on itunes where you can rate subscribe and leave reviews we love that stuff also on the google play store definitely play it up and share the podcast with your friends and that podcast is called do i still love it i'm marshall james and i'm laura weiss saying uh (laughs) Gorsh. This is